BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. And we got a lot to talk about this week. As always, a holiday edition of the BCJ Podcast. We will talk about the Bearcats' uh, unfortunate performance on Saturday night at Central Florida. We'll preview the game with ECU and uh, talk to seniors, talk about Senior Day quite a bit, and uh, maybe dip our toes into a little bit of basketball. Only one podcast this week um, because of the timing of the holidays. Berg and I just couldn't squeeze in a uh, fully devoted basketball podcast, so I'm sure Dave, will, Dave and I will touch on a thing or two uh, towards the end of the show if you want to stay tuned for that. But first... It's a pre-Black Friday sale at 513shirts.com. Go to 513shirts.com. Use the promo code PREBF, P-R-E-B-F, pre-Black Friday, pre-BF. That'll get you 20% off the entire store at 513shirts.com. You go to 513shirts. You click on Partners. Go down to Bearcat Journal. You can get the Bearcat Journal logo T-shirts and hoodies. You can get the Red Helms merchandise T-shirts and hoodies. Got the trucker hats and the beanie caps, uh, stickers, all kinds of good stuff. 20% off if you spend. They lowered the price, too. If you spend $45, you get free shipping. Their normal level is $65. But for now, if you spend $45, you get free shipping. So get all your Bearcat Journal gear for the holidays at 513shirts.com. Dave, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How about you? Ready for uh, ready for this final home game? You know, crazy that season, regular season at least, is already wrapping up. It feels like not very long ago were we talking about our uh, expectations for this season. Yeah, and expectations were uh, blown out of the water, Destro- destroyed, and you know that's it's. It's unfortunate that they weren't able to uh, to play better on Saturday night, but I mean, ultimately, like we talked about last week on the podcast, I know I I went against my better judgment and picked UC, but like we said, I mean, this wasn't difficult. They were going to have to play a damn near perfect game to come out of there with a win, and they didn't. They 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 did. A lot of the things that I thought they needed to do to make that a competitive game, but they had a missed field goal. They had a blocked field goal. They had a fumble in the red zone. They 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 moved the ball well between the 20s. And those field goals, yeah, they were important because of when they happened and the momentum and all that. But I'll just say this. You weren't winning that game with field goals. You were going to have to get touchdowns. And they weren't – they would get – to about the 20 30 25 yard line of UCF they couldn't get the they couldn't convert on it they couldn't get those critical third downs uh that that win you football games like that and i mean it wasn't all that shocking dave it, it it's a young team and this was the first time this young team had been on that kind of stage with that kind of attention and that kind of pressure and they didn't play their best football I, I don't think no. that is I, I don't think that is something that is uh entirely shocking. No. I mean part of that had to do with the opponent and is a good, very good team and part of that I think they would very you know, honestly admit was were just some errors and self inflicted wounds that you know, they would probably say we should be better than that. Um you know, the game kind of started almost, not perfectly, but you know we had talked about getting the ball first, which UCF deferred, and UC got themselves in a bit of a hole, but got out of it, put together a pretty good drive. Um, you know, got it kind of like a drive in the sense of just a a calming drive to where it's not like you know if they got those penalties and if they'd had to punt there, who knows. But, you know, pin them down, make a play defensively. Great play by Malik Clemens, Kalani Fitch. Get up 6 nothing, miss the extra point, you know, what have you. But that was an ideal start in that regard. Then you get a three and out. Hold them again. Hold them again. They, they're a great punter with his dance move, whatever, celebrations and shaggy hair. 
kicks the guy it twenty five. The guy averaged thirty yards a kick. What a clown! Yeah, kicks it twenty five yards. You get the ball on their thirty five yard line. You got to score a touchdown there. Um, I mean, I'm not even talking about the missed field goal because, I mean, how many times have teams against UCF started drives on the UCF 35-yard line this year? Right. They don't turn it over. They don't give you a chance to beat them like that. So, you know, you've got to go up 13-0 there. You don't get any points. They come down and score. Okay, 7-6. You put another nice drive together. And then that's when you get the field goal blocked return to the UC 20 and it's, it's 14 six. And then, you know, just kind of went from there, but they probably outside of not being able to convert on those early drives, they probably couldn't have scripted what they wanted to do and what they needed to do any better. Right. Um, You know, like we talked about, I mean, I said, I think I said like 44, 28, something like that. You held him to 38 points. One touchdown was after the block punt or block kick return. So that was only a 20 yard drive. Another touchdown was after the, I don't even know what you want to call it. Fumble, not fumble two personal foul penalties where they hardly had to go, you know, 20, 25 yards. So, you know, against the defense in a normal, normal drive situation, they they did what they needed to do. The offense just couldn't do anything against the defense, which, especially in the first half of games this year, has not been good. And no, that was... to me is the most most frustrating part was that you know their their defensive ends had a lot of success. They pretty much you know plastered the receivers and guy you know guys just weren't open. And the times that they were open, because there were instances where guys were open there was a rush in Dez's face and he wasn't able to to make the pass that needed to be made it was a bad day for Chris Ferguson and Dino Boyd it was I mean and I don't think we're saying anything crazy they would they've watched the tape they Chris Ferguson had multiple false start penalties uh got you know both of them had false start penalties both of them got beat around the edge several times I mean it was a bad day for the whole offensive line I mean if we're really going to be truthful about it. I mean, Kyle Trout missed a block on fourth and one with Tavion Thomas that got stopped right around midfield. Um, when it was 21 to six, they went down and scored, I think three or four plays later on the 42 yard touchdown pass the killings kind of out of the backfield. So, you know, it wasn't a good day for the offensive line. I mean, and, and you're going to have those. It's just not ideal to have them on the road against the number nine team in the country. Well, you're not going to, you're not going to get away with stuff like like a, a bad block here or miss block there against them like you would against some other team. Well, I mean, what's what's generally affected the most in a really loud stadium that's going nuts? You're, oh, yeah. The guys, the guys farthest from the ball on the offensive line. And you give UCF credit, they had guys that were firing off the ball. I mean, a, a couple of those on Ferguson – the guy just beat him. I mean, just went right past him. And, and that's not making an excuse for him, but that that's what happens on the road in those type of games. And that's why I talked about, you know, the, why this was a little different than anything they had experienced to this point. Because even at well, I mean, UCLA, just, I mean, that it wasn't like the Rose Bowl was, was rocking and rolling. That no, I mean, just look at it this way. Their last three road games prior to UCF, I guarantee you there were half as many people at those three games combined as there were at UCF, at SMU, at Temple, at UConn. Right. Exactly right. I mean, if there were 25,000 people at those three games combined, I'd be shocked. Actual fans in the seats cheering, watching the game. So – I mean, it, you know, it was it's unfortunate. It's a different it, animal. And... I will say, I, I, but... give, I give a lot of credit to our message board. I think they handled they it pretty well. I, I think they handled it pretty well. Well, I mean, I think, to me, it's 
if you if you don't handle something like that in a realistic way, then like yes, here and and I I'm not, I'm not I don't want to try to like preach and tell people how they should or shouldn't fan, but you need perspective is needed coming into the seat coming off two four and eight years expectations were better but still a ways to go expectations have been exceeded which increase you know once you start once you start six and oh expectations are no longer to go six and six they're to win probably nine ten games because you're way better than you think you were going to be but at the same time that has to also register in that this is still a team that is building and growing and has a quarterback that this is now his, because you know, he didn't start UCLA, he's now started 10 games. And we have offensive linemen that are playing their first time ever or playing their first time at a level like UC. We have defensive players that are playing in brand new positions. And while they're far exceeding expectations. You still have to understand that against a really good team like UCF on the road, that that was a possibility. You know, you hope that it's not going to happen, but you know, that was a, and that was a possibility. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I, I think part of the, the feeling of frustration somewhat is that they did have all of those things break their way that they needed break their way. And I get that. Like, that's that's human nature. Like, you want to have everything kind of fall, not fall into your lap, but you want to have your play kind of put you in that position. And it did. It just didn't work out how they wanted it to work out. They, they weren't yeah, able I mean, to capitalize. They, yeah, they, they did part of the heavy lifting but weren't able to you know finish it off where maybe you know next year when if des ritter is still the quarterback and he's in his 20th start right maybe he he plays better he he understands rushes better he slides protection differently than he did the other day he gets them out of the play when now He's just more focused on just running the play and and he's not looking at audibling and, and things like that that a more veteran quarterback does. And you know, it's just it's part of a a growth and maturation of an entire team. And they took a you know, everyone you that talks about this team on the outside talks about it being over a year ahead of schedule based on what they thought. Well that you know not every play of every game is going to stay on that, what I would kind of call crazy pace. Um, and especially on the road against a really good team. They're going to, you know, they caused a lot of the problems that UC did. It wasn't just all UC errors. I mean, a lot of it was because of UCF. Right. I, I think ultimately, and I, and I, you know, I'm not a big moral victory guy. But I and, and I don't really take it as a moral victory, but I know people get tired of me probably talking about the, the the steps that need to be taken to get back to the level that we're that you know UC fans are used to being at. This was a step they needed. They had to go in a situation like that and really experience the pressure. And for me, the one thing I was worried about is. They've played pretty clean at home. Outside of the first half against Ohio, um, they've played pretty clean at home. They haven't played clean on the road. They weren't clean in that Temple and SMU game. They weren't really clean in that UConn game until right before halftime. And they needed to kind of experience what a real team does to you when you're not clean. You know what I mean? Oh, they need, absolutely. I mean, they, they need to understand... When you give a team like that, when you leave the door open for a team like that, it's going to burn you. When you have an opportunity to step on their throat and you can't, guess what happens? 
Next thing you know, you're down 21 to 6 instead of being up 17 to 7. Like that's that's the reality of the situation. And, and hopefully and think, that was a necessary learning experience. I think that's one of, I mean, I, I don't want to use this as like a trash the league thing, but that's one thing that I think does hurt the better teams, whether it's UC this year, UCF, Houston, whoever on the other side is. UC was piling up wins, but you just weren't sure how like, how much do you really find out about yourself beating the crap out of UConn and Navy. And, you know, those are the two games where they just kind of dominated in league play. Um, you just don't really get to know good or bad where you are until you have an opportunity like this. And, you know, I, I agree with you on not, I don't really look at it as a moral victory, but it's a, okay, we got, we went, and we went on the road and played a team that categorically everybody thinks is good. Some people think is better than some other people think, whatever. But for the most part, everybody will admit UCF, real good team. We went on the road, we tested ourselves, and now we can see where we're deficient, where we need help, where we need to get better. That's not a moral victory. That's just reality of we're a growing program in the second year of a coaching staff. Okay, this is if we want to be at that level and we want to play them next year here and beat them, these are the things that we need to do better. Right. And that, I mean, that's, that's just, you know, the reality of it. I mean, I don't think we have to spend a whole lot of time on it. I think everybody kind of understands. And that's why I gave a, a, a shout out to the message board. The, it, it was very rational and people had a pretty good grasp on, you know, what was what was on the line? What was at stake? Um, and they didn't play well. I mean, I, I don't think yeah. there's any any denying that. Um, ECU. Let's. You want to do seniors first, or you want to do ECU first? Whatever you you tell me. Do you want to learn a little bit about the pirates, or should we should we talk about the senior class? Let's save the seniors uh, okay. for a little bit. Let let let's save the seniors. Um, we we want to keep people listening. <laughs> but first, before we talk about the pirates, hopefully you'll need to stay awake for this game at three thirty on a Friday afternoon. How could you stay awake? With Trace Pountas Coffee. Freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans we ship to you has the roast date clearly printed on it. So you know that your coffee is fresh. You can find out more about Trace Pountas Coffee. You go to their website. www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh for you and shipped out immediately. They offer 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and fresh ground roasted coffee. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. And now they even also have K-Cups. They have free shipping in the United States if you go to the Trace Pountas website. Once you're on the website, you sign up for a coffee subscription and get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. When you sign up, you save 20% at checkout. If you enter the code BEARCATS, that's 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription with that code when you enter it at checkout. So get your Trace Pontas coffee today. Drink some in the morning. Get to the tailgate. Enjoy some tailgate time. Watch the Bearcats take down ECU, hopefully, for the seventh 10-win season in program history. And Dave, that's... It's we've talked about it a lot. It's again remarkable that that we're in this position, coming off of a, a disappointing performance against Central Florida, but still the opportunity on Senior Day to come home, get your tenth win, get to a bowl game. I'm, I'll drop a little knowledge here. You want me? You want me to drop a little knowledge? Sure. Win this game. I'm hearing three 
leading candidates for bowl games? Can I guess? You can guess. I don't think you're going to get it right, but you can guess. Uh, let's see. We're going to go military. That is one, yes. That one's easy. I think everybody knew that one. We're going to go two, ind- the next... independent. Where's that? Shreveport. Ooh, you're two for two. Two for Come two. Come on, man. You don't, you don't think I pay attention to this stuff? And the third. Uh, the third one's harder because it would... If it's such a oddity, it would mean that some Power 5 conference doesn't have enough bowl participants, which one I think will be the SEC since Ole Miss is on a bowl ban and the winner of the loser of Vanderbilt and Tennessee will not go to a bowl. Um, so mm, not the Belk Bowl. I don't know. What's the third one? You were you were pretty on target with where you were heading. It's a it's a bowl the Bearcats have played in recently. Uh, Not the last two the, years, obviously. The Sugar Bowl. N- no, <laughs> that that is now <laughs> out the window. Not a possibility. Uh, Liberty. Uh, Liberty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just it's a those ones are weird. Because the SEC is kind of like the American in that they don't slot based on your finish after you get to like, once they get their teams in the either the playoff or the New Year's Six game, it's kind of like the Belk Bowl could take SEC teams three through eight. Right. You know, depending on who the ma- who they match up with, and that's the same way that the um, AAC does it. Is they're they're trying to match up their which I which to me is smart. They're trying to put their best teams in the more the bigger spotlight games against Power Five teams, and not necessarily do it based on finish. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the SEC games kind of shake out this week as far as those lower tier to them lower tier games and and if spots are open and and things like that but i thought the independence would definitely be one who's the match sure who's where... the potential matchup in that oh i don't know talk about something real quick and i'll look it up uh okay uh military i know a lot of people had a good time at that bowl the last time the thing i worry about there a little bit is weather um you're dealing with Annapolis, Maryland in December. Uh, not not great. Um, Liberty, I, I'm all in on Liberty. I I I could I could deal with Memphis. What do you think? Yeah, Memphis? I mean, for sure. Let me see here. Uh, ACC. Okay. Yeah, Independence Bulls, ACC. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. The Liberty Bowl might be might be Big 12 now. Yeah, it is, and I think they're in danger of not filling as well. I think it was ACC when we played in it because we took the ACC spot to play Vandy. Or, no, at that time, Liberty Bowl was an AAC tying game. Yeah, but I think now it's SEC Big Twelve. Yeah, I think it is. And then if we're looking at the AACC, Wake Forest has to win this week to get to a bowl. Florida State has to win to get to a bowl. Virginia Tech has to win to get to a bowl. So there's three teams. Florida State's playing Florida. They're not going to win that game. Um, Virginia's playing Virginia Tech. That's kind of a Virginia's better, but that's kind of a toss-up. Wake Forest is playing Duke, probably at Duke, probably a loss. So, you know, if those three ACC teams all lose, then they're definitely not filling their bowl spots because that would mean one, two, three. 
five of their teams wouldn't have qualified for bowl games. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things on the table, and, and Cincinnati has traveled well uh, to bowls in the past. Um, I think this fan base, there's a good chance it would travel well again, given what this team uh, has accomplished um, over the past year. Or past. I mean, even dating back to the day after the ECU game last year, if you go back the past 360 days, uh, where they've come, I, I think warrants uh, a pretty good fan turnout at a bowl game. So, how far is for Shreveport? sure? Well, pretty Let's far see. down there into Louisiana. I, I, I'm aware of that. I'm just curious well, of the drive. Eleven hour. I think I remember it was like an eleven hour drive to New Orleans. That sound right? I drove there. Eleven or twelve? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not all the way, but, you know, probably somewhere in the 8 to 10 range. That game's two days after Christmas. Ooh, that's rough. <clears throat> that's a little rough. Yeah. 12-hour drive. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think... You know, obviously, I'm, the more fans that can go, the better. But, you know, for me, a bowl game, I just want to play another, you know, another like team. I don't I don't want to go to Boca and play Louisiana Lafayette or, you know, the second place team from Conference USA. That doesn't tell me anything. Right. You know, whether you win or lose, it's a bowl game. I'm, I don't really get wrapped up in winning and losing bowl games if it's not, you know, a BCS game at the time or now the playoff. Like, you win or lose the Independence Bowl, you know, obviously you want to win, but I'm not really getting bent out of shape if they were to lose to Duke or something or whoever, you know, Texas A&M, uh, you know, whatever. I just want to play one of those teams just because I think it's another – another opportunity for them to measure themselves against teams that they want to be competing with for recruits, for uh, bowl games, for rankings, for all that stuff. Absolutely. Um, ECU, not good, but they've got a a couple guys that can play, that can make this – Make this more interesting than it should be. One who UC recruited for, I think, longer than a hot minute. So, uh, yeah, they're three and seven. Their three wins are against two and eight UNC, four and seven Old Dominion, and one and ten UConn. They uh, in, in AA. What's that? Uh, UConn has to. What did I see? They have to. Uh, hold Temple to minus 146 yards. To Do not, not be the worst defense the ever. the all-time worst defense. I guess. They're giving up over 600 yards a game, and I think the record is like obviously somewhere, I think it was in the 500s. But, yeah, they have to hold Temple to minus 146 yards, I think. That's awesome. If you're going to do something, be the freaking best. And right now, yeah. UConn is the best at playing the worst defense in the history of college football. Hats off to UConn. Yeah. So, ECU coming off a huge win against UConn, so take that for whatever you want. <laughs> but, I mean, in AAC play, they're 1-6. They got beat by 43 by Temple, 22 by Houston, 27 by UCF, 18 by Memphis. Their quarterback, Holton Ehlers, or however you pronounce his last name, he's 1-3 since he started. He's playing in about five games, and he, he's got nice numbers. I mean, he's thrown for 1,600 yards, 11 touchdowns, two interceptions. He's ran for 511 yards and six touchdowns, which is pretty impressive in basically six, five or, five or so games. Um, last week against UConn, they were much more run balanced. They ran for, I think, over 400 yards, but with several running backs. Prior to that, he was like their only guy that they would run. So 
I think against UCF, he threw the ball 53 times and had 27 rushing attempts. He's got games. He's got one game, I think he threw it 62 times. I mean, it's the same offense we've seen, but he's he's pretty good. They got a good receiver. It's kind of his go-to guy. But, I I mean, I guess, you know, you just look at some of those scores and then you think of playing UC's defense. I just don't see that same type of of production being there without it being just like a cumulative, just, you know, having so many plays because UC's scoring. um, Their defense is not very good. They do have one really, really good defensive player, Nate Harvey. He'll probably be, I mean, I didn't say probably, I would be stunned if he's not the AAC Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, set the record for the conference with 24 tackles for loss already this year, 13 and a half sacks. He's a walk-on who was a reserve running back, and they moved him to DN this year, and this is what he's done. That's pretty good coaching move right there. Yeah, he's 6'1", or... 225, so he's not going to overpower anybody, but it's just a matter of can you get out of your stance before he's already passed you and to the quarterback. So I imagine with the way you Steve plays, I would just run right at him. You know, put a tackle there, put a tight end over him and double team him and just run right over him. Um breaking news on the basketball side. Oh, do I need to look at the Twitter? Uh well nothing major. Uh SMU <laughs> lost SMU SMU lost to Bradley. Oh, that's breaking news. And Tulane lost to UC Irvine. Yeah. So good night in the American. Good night. Good night for hoops in the American. Yeah. Well, UC Irvine is actually six and zero now. They beat Texas A and M a few years ago, according to everybody's favorite Twitter follower, John Rustin. That's a rough one. Um, My favorite. You, you know what I mean. I know. Um, yeah. I mean, UC is a nineteen and a half point favorite. I don't really get into point spreads with UC games that much. I tend to not really pay attention to them just because they're my team, but that's a whole lot of points for a conference game. So, you know, play a clean game. Don't have defensive backs fall down with what, you know, they're not, I don't think they're a big, like, I think they're a, an air raid offense. They try to get it out quick. So he doesn't get sacked. He was sacked five times. I think against Tulane. Uh, a couple games ago where they only scored 18 points and lost that game by six. So, I mean, it's the same ECU team that we've seen except for last year where they decided they wanted to just kick the shit out of us. Which I'm hoping hoping that they have the same attitude of the Navy game last year with this ECU game because that one was – probably even uglier than the Navy game last year, considering the opponent and where those two teams were at the time. Yeah, everybody's looking at that like, hey, we might get another win. And it was <laughs> about as – regardless of all the final scores, watching that I mean, game I 40, last year. 48-20, and it wasn't even near that close. Right. That one was that one was frustrating. It was probably the most frustrating game of the year last year. So you oh, have to think. Easily. You have to think this is still on the mind of those guys. And well, especially said, if, if the Navy game was was talked about that much, I'm sure that it was too. Hell, Navy they they almost had a chance to come back and win late in the game. I know. They did not have that chance against ECU. So the only thing I would be worried about is I I think they came out of that UCF game with a lot of bumps and bruises. I don't think it was anything major, Um, but it's, you know, a matter of who heals up well enough during the week that they're ready to go. Um, And if they can, if they can make it through the game, if guys start, yeah, you know, if they try to go and then they get out there and they get hit and they, then they can't go. Then yeah, you start, you know, they start getting into their too deep in a lot of positions, sure. Plus, it's on a Friday, so you lose a day uh, to recover. Um, 
so that that would be the only like real in, in terms of the roster that would be the only real concern um is just guys with bumps and bruises that either they go and they're still banged up or uh they decide that it's you know best to hold them out um I don't know. I'm I'm thinking Bearcat's pretty big in this one. Yeah, I think so. I'm, you know, something like uh, I don't know, 38-20, 38-20, 38-17, something like that. I was thinking like thirty-five, seventeen range. Kind of what I was thinking. So right around the number. Yeah. If you're the gambling type. That's, that's how 17. they build them big big buildings out there. Yeah, right around the number. You never know. Right around it. Um, senior day. I'm gonna miss a lot of these guys, man. Um a lot of that comes from you know, when you go through two, four, and eight seasons, it gets tough to talk to guys. Like they don't want to talk to you. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, you don't really want to talk, talk, to, talk to, to them. And, right. And you're, you're going to ask them, so you got your teeth kicked in again this week. You got five more games. Like, how excited are you to finish out the year? Like, what are you going to talk about? when you know, No one wants to be on a losing team, be around a losing team. It, it's hard. But I will say, I mean, like, you're you don't find – Many guys like Garrett Campbell and, and Cortez Broughton. Marquise Copeland is a little bit more quiet, um, but but he's another one. Malik Clemens. Tyrell Gilbert has never been shy when I've put a camera in front of his face. Um, Khalil Lewis has been shy. He never – it's funny, Khalil's a, a pretty outgoing guy on the field, but – in the media, he never really opened up. He was always pretty reserved. But, you know, that's some guys, when you put a camera in front of them, kind of take it down a couple notches. Um, but uh, Kamani Fitz might be the most underrated of them all. Uh, yeah. He, he was great to interview over the years. Uh, I'll, I'll be talking to all those guys again throughout the bowl practices to get a, uh, you know, kind of a goodbye to – to Bearcat Nation, talk to uh, Cortez today uh, after the media availability. But it's a it's a pretty important group of seniors. It's not a, a a group that's large in numbers, but in impact, you know. And and add, I would add, very much add Kyle Trout into that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm upset. I've wanted to talk to Trout all year. They wouldn't let him be on camera because of he let himself go. <laughs> well, because because of his beard and hair. Yeah, he just kind of let himself go, and they decided. So I I was trying to pull this off today, and I couldn't quite pull it off. And maybe I'll I'll try to pull it off. So look for this uh, throughout the bowl season. But I was gonna aim the camera at the wall, and and shoot video of the wall and have Kyle stand right off camera <laughs> and do an interview with Kyle, but the video is just the wall. It would be riveting TV. Or maybe I could, you know what I'm going to do? I think this is even better. Just shoot him from, like, the shoulders to, like, the belly button. Yeah, just shoot, shoot zoom in on Cincinnati, like, 56. <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. I love Kyle. Like, Kyle Trout is uh, a hilarious dude. Like, dry humor. Very dry humor from Kyle Trout. But I find him to be hilarious. And I've been trying to get him on video all year, and I get shot down all the time. But uh, it's a group of seniors this program is going to miss. Like I said, it's not a group that's large in numbers. But it's a group that made a hell of an impact this year. I know there's... A lot of talk about the young guys, and there's a lot of talk about the future, and the future is very, very bright. And, and what we're going to see from this program, I, I truly believe, is just starting. But replacing these 10, 12 guys that have, have made an impact on this team is going to be very hard. Would you agree? Yeah, it's definitely going to be hard, and I, I want to give them 
a lot of credit for being juniors last year and uh, seeing how that went. And, you know, the first years are always tough, especially when you're coming off a bad year and you never know what kind of buy-in you're going to get. And clearly there wasn't the buy-in needed last year. And I'm not going to blame that on last year. No, that's just hard. It's hard. Right, it's just hard, and that's a team thing. It's not a class thing. But I give these guys credit for, you know, after a, a rough year and being seniors and saying, whether they said it collectively or just said it individually to themselves, we're not going to do that again. I'm going to do what I need to do to raise my level as a player, raise my level as a teammate, and be a leader, whether it's just by playing hard and always trying to do the right thing, or whether it's by being vocal. I think we've got a little bit of everything with that group. And I give them a ton of credit for kind of being the catalyst to turn this thing around and, and take it to where we've seen it go this year. And then hopefully, hopefully now it's not as much work because next year's seniors and juniors don't have to, you know, the buy-in is there. If you're not bought in now, you're not playing. Or if you're not bought in now, the the seniors next year and the juniors next year who will have been, who this will be their third year will call out a younger guy maybe and say like, hey, you're not doing what you need to do. We we went ten and one, ten and two, or eleven and two last year. Like this isn't how this works anymore. So you know, I think they did a great job in kind of laying the groundwork for hopefully where this can now go for the next several seasons. Yeah. And, and great personalities. Um, I, 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 one of our, uh, it, it, it didn't, you know, start as a tradition, but one of the, the things that continued to kind of organically happen throughout the year is um, getting to the, the weekly press conference early Um and I would always get there about 11 o'clock. The luncheon started at 1130. Fickle showed up at 12 for uh, for his interview, you know, for his address, if you will. And Garrett would always stop in. And, you know, even when he was going through his rehab and and battling back and we were, we kept getting word that, like, this dude's healing at a rate that doesn't make any sense. Like by week three, he had the cast off and was walking around without crutches and a boot and, you know, just getting to sit to talk and, and get to know him a little bit more um, for a guy that went from walk on to too deep to starter to leader on the team um, has been really cool to get to kind of experience some of this with those guys uh, because, and I've talked about this with some of them before, like, when they were were recruited here, Cincinnati was winning conference championships and was maybe not as relevant as they were in 2008, 2009, 2010. But those days weren't that far in the rearview mirror. And they were still winning eight, nine games a year. And then to have it dip like that, I mean, I, I've got to imagine, like, it, it weighs on you as a guy, like, I was here when the program fell apart. Right. And, and to take the enough pride in that to say enough is enough and we're going to get back to winning. I think that says a lot about like who they are as guys. And and oh, that, definitely that, that their leadership was such a big factor in everything. And they deserve all of the accolades and recognition and and support that they will get on Friday because this has been, you know, the group that kind of said the buck stops here and we're done with four and eight and we're done with games being over by halftime. Now, if, if a game's going to be over by halftime, it's going to be because we put a hurting on somebody. And yeah, I mean, a lot has I'm, to be said for that. I'm, I like it too in the sense of a lot of them have had – excellent individual seasons as well. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of them were guys that in the summer and then in the, in the fall, we talked about needing to step up and us feeling that they had the talent to do that, but we needed to see them 
step up, and if this team was going to be better, they were going to be a big reason why. And I think, you know, Kamani Fitz has had an excellent senior season, and he really has turned into that a real rush end, but also a real run-stopping end that we had hoped for. I think Cortez has taken a big step Ten in his steps. development this year. I mean, he'd always flashed, but he was kind of a guy that had always, you always felt there was more there. And I think he's definitely, uh, he's definitely put himself on NFL radars. I think he'll test well. I think he's a definitely a draftable player. Um, you know, I think Khalil Lewis has been that steady number one receiver that we talked about them needing. And his move to the outside, I think, has definitely helped. Uh, you know, Malik Clemens and Tyrell Gilbert with position changes have helped solidify those areas. And for having position changes, have had pretty pretty darn good individual seasons. So, I mean, you know, not only the leadership and the team building aspect of it, but the the play on the field they've they've shined as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, send them out right. Go get your tickets. <laughs> Go get your tickets. Um, you got anything else on football? Uh, no, I don't think so. Basketball, um, I think we're seeing improvement. It's hard to tell against, you know, when they when they get into some of these buy games. Um, I think the level of buy game has a little bit been a little bit better than in years past. Uh, I don't think these teams have just been absolute pushovers that had no chance when the game started. Um, so I think that's been you know a little bit better for um, teaching this team some of the things that they need uh, in terms of effort and and playing for forty minutes. Uh, I think we're starting to see some consistency from Nazir Brooks, a little bit from Trey Scott. Uh, I think the emergence of Keith Williams has been a, a very pleasant surprise. And, and now you're getting Kane Broom back on track. Uh, you're getting Jaron Cumberland, hopefully a little bit more engaged from the opening tip. And I think ultimately outside of a terrible 20 minutes against Ohio State, this team's kind of where we thought they would be heading into this tournament in Niceville. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I said I personally like Keith being in the starting lineup. Um, you know, I think he he offers that defensive energy and athleticism that I like at the beginning of the game. Like last night, you know, they suffocated Western Michigan in the first four minutes. I think they had four or five deflections, forced five or six turnovers, and I just like him in that role. And I like Kane coming off the bench in the sense of, you know, you just, I feel like this team, we know scoring is going to be an issue all season. And I think their best defensive lineup is with Keith on the floor. So if you start the game that way and you're able to get some stops right away and maybe then you get some shots to call and you build a lead. Then you bring Kane in and he maybe works against someone else's second team and then he gets his game going and there's that scoring punch you need off the bench because I just don't see it in the reverse is that if Kane plays a bunch of minutes and he doesn't have it going, where does the scoring come from from the other seven guys? Right. I, th I think some of that is starting to work out, but we don't find out more really until two weeks from now when you've got UNLV to, to start that stretch, UNLV, NKU at home, Xavier at home, and then Mississippi State and UCLA. And, you know, you until you hit that, that run, we're not going to know for sure, but I do think we're seeing kind of an uptick. I think we're seeing guys 
make some of the the leaps that we talked about them potentially making with also the caveat that there's going to be inconsistency and what they need more than anything is experience. And you don't get yeah, Nick is, Nick said it last night. He's like, uh, it was probably my fault. I screwed around with the lineup, but guys need to just get minutes. You're not going to find out anything about someone if if they don't play in a real situ- real live situation. And you know, guys just need minutes. They need to figure out their roles. They need to understand what's being expected of them, and then they need to do that to the best of their ability. I mean, one example. I don't think Kane is just a standstill shooter. I think his game is off the dribble, whether it's all the way to the basket for a basket or to create something for someone else, or he's really good at the pull-up game. And I think, in the, especially in the Ohio State game, he just got stuck just standing there and jacking jumpers. And these last two games where he's played much better, I feel like he's been much more attacking, much more assertive with his, with what he wants to do, and that has opened up stuff for him and for everybody else. Yeah, he's kind of a guy that needs to be playing on the move. He's not a standstill guy, and I think, you know, as you go through some of this early stuff, you're figuring out this is what's going to work for him, this is how we get that the most out of that. Uh, I was really glad to see Mamadou get some minutes last night, especially at the five, uh, because I feel like that's where he can really be a problem. He doesn't move like a five, but he has the size and athleticism of somebody that can play there. Um, I think you create a mismatch with him there. I think you saw that on the glass. Uh, you didn't really see it offensively uh, in in those minutes, but you saw it in effort. You saw it on the glass. He got some deflections. He got some rebounds. He got some. He, he blocked and altered some shots. That's going to get him on the floor more, and I think – that gives you a different weapon in that rotation of Nas, Ellie, and Mamadou. I think if you if you because those three guys are all entirely different type of guys, right? And I think having a guy like Mamadou in that in that rotation can be very beneficial over the course of a long season. Uh, so I was glad to see Mick, you know, kind of reward him for practicing well and he talked about it post game which is something I completely agree with if you tell guys they have to practice well in order to get minutes and then they practice well and you don't give them minutes guess what they're going to stop doing they're going to stop giving a crap right (laughs) so you know that was a reward for that and I think that's deserved one deserved and two very much needed you can't preach all of that stuff and then not practice it um, and I thought Mamadou responded, which more power to him. He didn't come out and try to cram, you know, 20 minutes of action into one minute of floor time. And what did that result in? It resulted in nine minutes of floor time. Cause if he came in and did a bunch of stupid crap in the first two minutes, he would have played two minutes. He did have a sweet 10 foot jumper that hit the top of the backboard. Yeah, that. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty awesome because Nick just looked at him and did the whole like two hands, like calm down there, buddy. Like, yeah, easy time. That was pretty impressive to not even hit the rim from ten feet. And the, the, the thing is, he might have the softest touch on the team. So for him to do that, he was really jacked up. <laughs> I guess. I mean, he got six rebounds in what felt like. I mean, obviously it was nine minutes, but what felt like about the first. Three or four minutes he was in, he he was all over the place, and it, you know, and the the whole Ohio State thing. I think the the hype of the game and just the putridness of the shooting, I think, put a bad taste in everybody's mouth to start the season. No one wants to start the year like that, right? But I mean, there's there has to be a level of when you're replacing what they're replacing and. And not and Mick has talked about it. not we're not even talking points, rebounds, stuff like that. It's you know, Jaron isn't a talker to begin with. And last year he didn't have to say a word because Kyle would never shut up. Right. And defensively Gary and Jake got everybody in place. Well now who's getting everybody in place? If your best player isn't really much of a talker and then 
your other upperclassmen, they're in roles where they're expected to play 32 minutes instead of 15 minutes. It's just a, it's just a, you know, evolution of, of a guy as a player to where they feel comfortable being, being that person when they've never had to be before. So, you know, I felt the defense last night for much longer of a stretch was much better than it had been in either of the other games. So it's, it's just a, a matter of, you know, building period, you know, periods, whether you want to call them whatever segments, periods between TV timeouts, just stacking those on top of each other to con- have continuous great defensive effort and continuous, you know, smart offensive play. You know, they played great defense, got up 28 to 7, and they were shooting like 70% because all of their shots were off great defense where the other team wasn't set and they could get what they wanted. They were getting layups, they were getting easy jumpers, and that's all predicated because they were doing what they needed to do on the defensive end. Yeah. If you don't stop anybody, it's tough to run five on five defense or five on five offense when the other team is just standing there waiting for you to run your set. Right. Exactly true. All right, the Bearcats uh, head to Niceville, Florida, Destin, if you will, uh, this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Friday they have uh, a, a George Mason team that people thought had a chance to be pretty good because they returned everyone. Apparently and, they're not. Well, I will say this, Dave. And I and I say this a lot of times uh, about this time every year about a team that was you know when, when you run into a team that was really bad last year but they returned everybody so everybody says they're they're going to be good maybe maybe they're just bad yeah re- returning five bad players does not automatically <laughs> make you good and it looks like that's the case with George Mason right now because they did have. Didn't they get a transfer from Virginia that was actually pretty good at Virginia? Yeah. They're just, from talking to people, apparently their defense is just atrocious. So, if UC continues the trend that they've had over these past couple games where they're getting good looks, they're taking good shots, and, and they're knocking them down and not settling for, you know, 25 threes, then they should be in pretty good shape. And well, then, I mean, they have two wins in a row. They beat Southern 69-65, and they beat NC Central 78-63. to But they have a loss to Georgia Southern where they gave up 98. <clears throat> they lost to American, not America, the country. American. American, American. College Hell yeah. In, in American, the college in Washington, D.C. that I only thought foreign people went to so they gave up 78 to them and they gave up 72 to Penn in their opener and lost by one so yeah I mean I don't think these cats are gonna guard UC very well right um so we'll see how that goes and then either Ole Miss or Baylor uh depending on the outcome of the first game um I would guess Old Miss wins that. You think? Has Baylor been that bad? I haven't paid attention to either of those teams well, even a little bit. I like Kermit Davis. Play- Kermit Davis isn't took Old Miss, best- right? Yeah, isn't Baylor's best player suspended? I think right so, now? yeah. Suspended for the first six yeah. games. So Baylor's three and one. Old Miss is two and one. Baylor lost to Texas Southern and has beat Southern, Prairie View A and M and Nichols. And Old Miss also beat Nichols, lost to Butler by seven at Butler, and beat Western Michigan ninety to sixty-four in their opener. They didn't open until the tenth. They've only right. played three games. So it'll be uh, be a good weekend that's down there. A, that's probably a toss-up game, Baylor Old Miss. Yeah, I would think so. Um. Should be a good weekend down there if you're making the trip. Enjoy Destin. Um, I, I was down there this summer. Had a good time. It was enjoyable. What I remember. <laughs> hey, uh, what's what's the tailgate 
tailgate outlook for this week? I, oh, chili cook off. Lots of Jello shot. The, the, okay, so people know this. You guys bricked last week. We did. We forgot them. Forgot the Jello it shots. It did not affect the play on the field, though. So <laughs> that was, and it's going. It appears to be great Jello shot eating weather for late November. Uh, you know, a nice, cool day in the fifties. Hopefully, so. Can I, can I just make fun of John Rothstein on this podcast real quick? Sure, go ahead. He just sent out a tweet. Betting against Mike Bray is like betting against Christian Bale in a Batman movie. Notre Dame lost to Radford the other day. <laughs> like so, he, so, last week when they lost to Radford, he sent out a tweet that said Notre Dame lost to Radford. Losing a bye game is the epitome of brutality. That's his like, yeah, his go to every time somebody loses a bye game. So how can you send that tweet and a week later talk about how you can't bet against Mike Bray? That's the problem with being sticky. Like Chris Holtman, more meticulous than a forensic officer. How would you know how meticulous Chris Holtman is? That is just such a weird thing to say. Like, is all of or is his clothes super organized? Like, is his car really, really clean? Like, does he, is his desk, does he have all his pens and notepads? He's actually, back to, he's a, actually, it should just say Chris Holtman, OCD. Like, I mean, his one, his one for Mick is super strange too. Like, Archie Miller, more locked in than a CPA on April 14th. You're assuming all CPAs are locked in. I bet some of them don't know what the hell's going on. They're checked out by April 14th. Screwing everybody's taxes up. (laughs) Why do you think they have those commercials for like H&R Block? Come get your taxes rechecked because your crappy Archie Miller CPA just screwed them up. What's Mick more consistent than a few good men on a Sunday? More consistent than a few, yes, on like a rainy Sunday afternoon or something. Like, oh my God! <laughs> uh, I just I'll leave you with this, Dave. The mute button is your friend. I but I know it, I just think they're funny. They are. Like they are. Everybody have like, a wonderful Thanksgiving. A wonderful Thanksgiving. What Thanksgiving plans, Dave? Not really. Uh, our Jello shot walk. Yeah, that's right. You guys uh, do the Jello shot walk. Jello shot walk for charity. Uh, we'll be doing that pre Thanksgiving dinner. Um, no, nothing crazy though. I mean, that, since that's not really crazy for us. Uh, you know, pretty normal Thanksgiving. I. Oh my god. What now? So. If you if you've been following along, I was having some fun with a a tweet from Reddit last night during or at the end of the Chiefs uh, uh, Rams game. The tweet said, yeah, "Talking that, about Big Twelve expansion." Yeah, yeah. Because the Rams and Chiefs were playing like Big Twelve teams. Apparently, the Inquirer wrote an article about the tweet. No. I just got a text. Oh, here it is. But by, by article, the, you mean they, they cut and pasted. Will the Big 12 take another look at expansion? <laughs> would, would UC be a candidate again? I hope they quoted me joking around about this. They didn't, darn. With their sources? No, they just put the... The Reddit College Football Twitter account is putting out the rumor that the conference is going to announce another round of expansion talks. If the Big 12 does decide to expand, the Inquirer, Cincinnati.com, 
We have complete coverage every single step of the way. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then just a bunch of links to old Pig 12 expansion articles. Oh, man. That's too good. That's too good. That's going to wrap it up. Great sources. Oh, man. (laughs) He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. (laughs) We'll talk to you next week. It's the VCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.